Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Nothing to Fear podcast, a weekly podcast about horror movies and all things spooky. Every week we watch a horror movie, discuss our thoughts and our history with it, and our reactions to said horror movie, and it's a lot of fun. My name is Billy Schultz, and I'm joined today by Luke Mason and Alex Wan. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for asking, Billy. I'm ready to be spooked in the morning. <laughs> yeah, so thanks for immediately peeking behind the curtain, but we're recording this at around 10 a.m., uh, so perfect, perfect time to watch a horror movie, which I might as well just tell us, uh, tell you what we're watching. We're watching the 1976 movie Carrie, directed by Brian De Palma, and I have actually seen this movie, so... You have? I have, yeah. So I know my whole shtick is I don't watch horror movies and i have seen barely any of them but somehow carrie is one that i have seen and i don't remember a lot about it but i remember it not being as scary as i thought and i'm hopeful that this continues the trend of horror movies not being scary as that almost as if there's nothing to fear <laughs> roll credits <laughs> oh, that's wait it. <laughs> that's that's the name of this podcast <laughs> hey we did it <laughs> How long ago did you see it? Oh, geez. Um, I was probably in my, I don't know, teens, early teens, maybe mid, mid-teens, so like mm. mid-2000s. Okay. And you just rented it? It was like, oh, let's watch Carrie. What I, was the circumstance? I don't even remember. I think it might have been that time when, um, you know, before the Rogers video shut down and you could rent movies. And I was... Yeah, I think I was in high school and I was ready to watch more movies and wanting to be a little more grown up. And so I just rented a whole bunch. Like, I think in that time frame, I also watched the Alien trilogy for the first time. <laughs> I just went on a tear of renting things. I definitely watched The Shining at this time. So maybe I do have more horror pedigree than I thought I did. <laughs> so, yeah. So what do you do? You, uh, have either of you seen Carrie, Alex? I have not. Um, I do know what it's about like it is it's based on a stephen king book right yes um we'll definitely hear a lot from mr stephen king i feel as this podcast goes on um yeah it's sorry it's it's about like a religiously oppressed girl and her mom kind of i think again i can't remember like the 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 things i remember about this movie is obviously there's a bucket of blood (laughs) there's a prom she's maybe got telekinetic powers i know the acting is all like supposed to be really really good for like a horror movie um there's some pretty big actor names in this one um after prom she wanted she went on to win american idol right that is what someone else (laughs) is that a different carry (laughs) probably a different carry okay okay my bad (laughs) It's not Carrie Underwood. She, she didn't. She, not a Carrie Underwood. And then she face. married Mike Fisher. Is that the one? No, oh, no, 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 no. This Carrie doesn't have behind these hazel eyes. Oh, my bad. Wait. <laughs> that is. Uh, well, that that's Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> uh, never mind. Anyway, we'll save that for the American Idol podcast. Uh, but Luke, tell me a little bit about your relationship to Carrie. Uh, I've actually, I've never seen it. It's one of those classics that I just never come across. Uh, I guess I never really. By the time I started being interested in horror movies, it was like around 2010 to 2011 type of time. And so I just, and this is just, you know, because I was of the era that I was, I was like, by the time horror movies just looked as good as they did by that era, I'm then going and like trying to watch ones from the 70s (laughs) because I wasn't a cinephile. I was like, these look shitty. <laughs> I don't want to watch this. I'd rather watch the well-made ones from more modern eras. And like, obviously, that's the wrong opinion if you want to know where like these stories kind of come from. 
I, I, I obviously the iconic blood scene is is the one scene I think everyone knows about Carrie. It's always on YouTube or videos or stuff like that, uh, referenced in other uh, Again, cultural I'm artifacts. I'm sure the Simpsons family guy exactly. has referenced it in <laughs> yeah. time and memoriam. And yeah, then she has telekinetic powers. I imagine I, I actually have m- way more thoughts on um, like Stephen King's themes and styles which would be more relevant, I think, after we watch the movie, because I'm interested to see if my predictions on what I've seen from other Stephen King's projects, if I can see, like, clearly his fingerprint in this type Ooh. of storytelling. Can you can you think of, like, one example as, like, a little bit of sizzle? Just, like, a little pre-sizzle? Uh, like a theme or a different show or movie where like I saw that a theme. theme. Like a theme, a, a King theme. Uh, the dominant King thing I've seen is that he he builds a narrative built around a supernatural horror, so there's some sort of supernatural thing going on in the town or in the people or in the characters. But really the horror that we're getting is the human tragedy that's going along with it. So if you think about like it, there's Pennywise, there's a supernatural horror, but there's also like the horror of disengaged parents and cruel bullies throughout. And that's something I love about Stephen King is that he really, often to me, the human villains in Stephen King are scarier than the supernatural ones. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll definitely have to keep a, an eye out for that. The only really thing I know about Stephen King books is roughly two thirds of them are set in Maine because it's the <laughs> yeah. spookiest, like, the spookiest state. Um, but yeah, I was recommended this one off of um, a suggestion on Instagram from a friend Zoe. Hello, Zoe. Thank you for the suggestion. And we are going to be watching it right away, unless anyone has last thoughts. Uh, they it. remade this movie, right? Like re- quite pretty yeah, recently? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Within the last five years, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I haven't seen either of them, but I assume generally people like the original more. Is, is that... I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know, but I think for this podcast that like originals first before we do any remakes <laughs> um, and down the line remake, sure, we can we can re- readjust and, and compare and contrast type of thing. But for first viewings, I feel it's got to be the original. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's, uh, I, I love how we've fi- Hollywood's finally got to the era where they've remade every other genre. Now they got to go remake horror too, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so... Yeah, so uh, we will be right back after watching Carrie. Jesus, take the wheel. It's the night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there, even Carrie White. The girl no one likes. We're all sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! And everyone makes fun of her. The girl who lives in that creepy house with her crazy mother. Help the silly woman see the sin of her days and ways. Show her that if she had remained sinless, the curse of blood would never have come on her. The girl with the strange power. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. But tonight, no one will laugh at Carrie. If you don't have a date to the prom next Friday, would you like to go with me? She's with the best-looking boy in the senior class. He's trying to trick me again. She'll be voted queen of the prom. You know, I can make sure that you don't hurt Carrie White anymore. For Carrie, it will be a dream come true. 
for everyone else, it will be a nightmare. <coughs> Carrie. <coughs> a new film by Brian De Palma. Based on the chilling bestseller. Starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, and introducing John Travolta in his first motion picture role. If you have a taste for terror, you have a date with Carrie. And we're back. Carrie is a 1976 American supernatural horror film directed by Brian De Palma from a screenplay written by Lawrence D. Cohen and adapted from Stephen King's 1974 epistolary novel of the same name. The film stars Sissy Spacek as Carrie White, a 16-year-old diffident teenager who is consistently mocked and bullied at school. Great reading. Her peers are unaware that she possesses telekinetic powers. So that's from wikipedia.org again. Ever heard of it? Pretty pretty big website, as far as websites go. But yeah, that was Carrie. We just finished. Alex, I want to hear your initial reading of the movie. What did you think? I liked it. I thought it was a really good movie, actually. Like, it was a very simple story, super easy to follow. Nothing was like, like outside of a, be, being a horror movie that of like supernatural stuff, nothing was like crazy out there. So I thought it was easy to follow. I thought the characters were great. The acting, for the most part, was pretty good. And you know what? For the whole part, like the whole movie, I just felt really, really bad for Carrie. Mm-hmm. That was that was kind of what I got out of it. But yeah, overall, I thought it was a good movie, well filmed, lots of cool effects and. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Luke, uh, how about your initial reactions? Um, I feel like of the three of us, I might have the most critical things to say about this movie. So I just would want to say to start, I don't think it's a bad movie. Like, I think that there's a lot to this that's interesting in both the, its, its own movie and what it's done in the lore of horror. I guess the most overarching th- thing I notice is that this is not a subtle movie. There's very, there's very little subtlety. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think there's any subtlety in this movie, from the acting to the dialogue to the script to the story. It's so much telegraphed. Yeah, it's, it's just like, like this is what's going to happen. It was an hour and forty minutes of it being on my nose, <laughs> and yeah. so, and so that's like not in itself a bad thing. I think it's just that I realized watching this movie that my palate has been cultivated differently over the last several years. I guess of watching movies and TV shows of this kind of suspense horror genre that it was a little, you might say it was a little bit of a, uh, a cold pig's blood on my shoulder <laughs> moment where I was like, Oh, this is very different than the kind of stuff I usually watch. So I'm, I'm sorting through that in mentally, that's but it was not a bad movie. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I want to hear more about that. Definitely. As we go, uh, my initial reactions again, it wasn't scary. Uh, there was a couple scary parts and, and jump scares again, very much in the era of, music will make will do loud strings and that will be scary but yeah it wasn't scary i thought it was really well shot really well acted i'd i'd heard through other podcasts and through you know just general word of mouth in this movie being out for so long that it was really good and brian de palma is always like up there as like one of the really great directors so it was interesting to see the shots and see the camera work and see how they they film stuff and and as a a study in film i think it's really good and and probably why it 
is you know still talked mm. about today even though it's 1976 so before we get into it this is a, a disclaimer of course we're going to be talking about everything spoilers ahead if you haven't seen carrie and you want to spoilers uh you know we paused the podcast to go watch so uh <laughs> you can do that too just scroll back pause now and we'll join join together in a minute when we talk about carrie okay there's also potential spoilers for other stephen king stories Okay, so I think we need to talk about the characters mostly because it's definitely a very character study and, and we can hit on some of the major plot points. But why don't we start with the titular character of Carrie and what we thought of her, how we how she was portrayed, how she was acted, what the job Sissy Spacek did. How did we like Carrie? And uh, I'll throw to you, Luke, first. Uh, yeah, I actually definitely... <laughs> she was the right character to make this movie about <laughs> because I thought she was by far the best character. She was the only one that didn't seem like a cookie cutter to me. I found the the other, basically the other characters are kind of like fitting some sort of stereotype of mm-hmm. um, both the roles of their jobs and the like era of the seventies. I found like the intersection of those two uh, stereotypes to be uh, one of the less unsubtle, one of the less subtle of the unsubtle moments. But I I liked that she was like. I mean, I guess she's a little bit of a nerd, but I liked her curiosity. I liked that she was like in the library trying to read about the stuff that's happening to her. Um, that kind of stuff. I, the acting sissy sissy spacek or spacek we had a little discussion about how to pronounce her name uh before it was awesome her especially her facial expressions yep um like that was probably the best part of the movie to me was um her like visual acting even more than her dialogue well she didn't Um, have much dialogue like yeah for the first you know 20 30 minutes she's just you know shaking and crying and sort of screaming and looking bewildered and and like afraid mm-hmm. and we don't see her it's interesting as she goes through the movie she starts talking more as we see her get more confident and more uh you know at peace with herself uh which is yeah why i think it's such a tragedy that this movie is apart from being a horror it's really a tragedy of yeah. this teenage girl being bullied to a horrible end and bullied by everyone i don't think you know we don't have anyone on her side right away it's not evident that anyone is on her side in the very start yeah so at the very very start of the movie she gets her period in the shower after gym and everyone laughs at her and throws tampons at her and Mm. is bullying her because she doesn't know she wasn't she was raised in a very repressed Mm-hmm. Uh, religious home didn't know about it and you know freaked out and i can only imagine that you know a woman's first period is can be a traumatic thing if you don't know what's about to happen um and so especially in a high school shower especially in a high school shower after like you know everyone already picks on on her and so yeah she was a very very sympathetic character to the point where at the end when she burns down the school and kills everyone you're kind of like yeah good for her <laughs> yeah good for her yeah yeah initially initially like you kind of see the gym teacher as like someone that will come and like save her from this experience but then the very first thing the gym teacher does is just slap her in the face i'm like not even the gym teacher's on her side oh god yeah just so much yeah not even the gym teacher and so so much violence just casual violence against students against women against it was really i had to 
remind myself so much that this movie was made in 1976. It was 1976. This was a 1976 movie. This is how it was. It's unfortunate, but anyway. Alex, there's no part of this movie that isn't obvious that it was made in the 70s. Oh, for for sure. Alex, any more thoughts about uh, Carrie as the character? Yeah, um, kind of touching back on like just her like her facial cues and stuff i thought that told so much about her character without even needing any dialogue right you could tell when she was genuinely frightened um, when she was skeptical when she was confused when she was happy and you didn't even need any dialogue for that so yeah and kind of what i what i said before i just felt bad for carrie that whole movie like it's rough enough being a teenager in high school but like on everything that she's she went through and didn't get any support from her mom at home her mom definitely made everything even worse than it should be and you know like i think the real parental role parental role model she had was her gym teacher and um she obviously cared about her gym teacher a lot like you see her reciprocate a lot of the care back especially at prom when they like hug each other and they're smiling and they're complimenting each other yeah uh just uh honestly a really simple character carrie Mm -hmm. I, i thought she was a very simple character with a lot of depth which i liked a lot about it yeah, you could see you could see that she's been traumatized her whole life growing up with her mom. We'll talk about uh, Lori Piper's performance in a minute, which um, was amazing. Spoiler alert! But you know, growing up in the super super religious repressed household, she's bullied at school. She has no social skills, so she gets bullied because she's awkward and weird, and the popular girls don't like her, and they all pick on her, and we don't see her get any chances. She has, she has no self-esteem at the start of this movie. And as soon as she gets more, we have the, the antagonists of the movie really take her down a peg. And then, you know, she burns the school down and kills everyone. But yeah, Sissy Spacek does a great job of conveying this like vulnerability and this, like this innocence in the character where she doesn't know what's going on. And I kind of thought she didn't know she was telekinetic at first, but pretty quickly she realizes or she she's known that she's had this gift and or or curse or however you want to classify it so she knows she has it she knows she's different because of it and maybe that's part of why she's so awkward and shy as well because not everyone can move stuff with their mind and so she gets (laughs) shut down and yeah, basically, the, the the deck was completely stacked against her this whole movie, and then she gets her revenge in this huge, you know, horrifying burn-down-the-school-kill-your-own-mom-with-a-bunch-of-knives-way, way, and it just doesn't end well for her. It, it's it's a real, real tragedy the whole time. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, This movie would pay off its, like, tagline. Like, I can imagine the tagline of Carrie being like, a teenage girl faces the bullies in school and feels the pain of that experience. And then that's the whole, that's the movie we get, right? Like, it's like, not not too much subversion of expectations from the beginning to the end, I would say. No, there was some unexpected moments. Just, yeah, the very ending I did not see coming. I don't think I remembered at all. I kind of thought it ended at the prom somehow. And mm-hmm. I, I was expecting, again, I was expecting that to be the big climactic finish. And then there's the denouement with, like, the other little bit of action with with her mother in the house. And she's all, you know, happy and rapturous. And I think this is a great time to talk about Piper Laurie. Sure, yeah. 
so Piper Laurie is the actress that played Carrie's mom in the movie, and she's portrayed as this very, very religious uh, person. She's she's got the you know everything is all about Jesus and you know the sins and quelling your sins and and you know beating the sin out of you. She was definitely like more so her character was focused on like the negative aspects of Christianity. I think. Like nothing of it, but it, but it was good, right? Yeah, it wasn't like, you know, Jesus really loves you. He wants the best for you. One day you're going to go to heaven. It was just like, no, you're a sinner. You're going to hell. You need to pray away your sin. Yeah, uh, there's no way. Everything you're doing is a sin and you should feel bad for it. And and on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think what this movie does really well, and you both alluded to it earlier, is the visuals are great. And so I did enjoy how... The, even just like the mom's hair mm-hmm. was a nice connection to like how kind of frazzled and sporadic her kind of attitude and mentality was. Like I, I think that that's just kind of nice. That might be the subtlety of the movie is the visuals. Yeah. Some of them. And some of the camera angles. Uh, it was really interesting to see at the start, the balance of power is totally towards the mom. Yeah. The, the camera angles looking up at her, you can see the ceiling in the shot. She's, towering over Carrie who's on her knees mm-hmm. crying about getting her period in school and her mom is just like that means you're a woman now and now you're a sinner and yeah. God is going to punish you and just it's I thought I wrote down a note um her story is a real case for everyone needs therapy like mom <laughs> yeah, needed yeah. some therapy we find out at the end that with her husband or or partner anyway whoever Carrie's dad is mm. They, you know, she felt like she sinned because they slept together before they had gotten married. And that's why, you know, God was punishing her with Carrie as this child who is the devil, basically. Um, And yeah, like, mom, you need therapy. You (laughs) you should talk to somebody. But it was the 70s. Therapy didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and then um, with, like, I guess the kind of intense Christian angle taken uh, in... I mean, there's all this iconography around the house that's, you can tell that this is a very totalitarian religious mindset. And, so uh, many creepy Jesuses. So many creepy Jesuses. And I guess just like reflectively on my part, because I grew up in a Christian household, this kind of person is definitely not the norm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's also not unfamiliar to me in the types of people I would come across. And maybe not all in one person but a kind of combination of an inflexibility of mind to take in new data and potentially interpret it in a different paradigm. Just very dogmatic. Exactly. And so it's like, it's that inflexibility of mind married to a kind of desire to see yourself and other people suffer. So it's like, you're actually a better person if you hurt and if, and I, and, and, uh, Piper Laurie, mom, as the conduit from God to provide that suffering to Carrie, like it's kind of her cosmic duty to mm-hmm. be part, and so, and it's like, but as you say, lineage-wise, it's passing that trauma on that she probably got as a young person. So, well, and I- and, and and as someone who grew up around people who flirted with this mentality, this is the dark side of um, religious belief. I think is dogmatism married to the idea that you should control other people and make their life harder because that's the way it's supposed to be and and the idea that 
you're only forgiven if you are punished in some way. And it, it's totally out of the concept of like a forgiving God who, you know, will, you know, forgive <laughs> yeah, your sins yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and is like peace and love. It's just like, no, God is righteous and God is wrathful. And it, no matter what you do, you're going to screw up and you have to be punished mm-hmm. to, you know, get back in. And that's, yeah, that's. Yeah, definitely. there's a there's a great Catholic term called um, cafeteria Catholic. <laughs> so yes. it's like the brunch lot or the, or the, the buffet, the buffet, the buffet line. You, you yeah. pick which parts of the Bible you yeah. want to focus on. <laughs> and you know, like the nice liberal Christians are like the more like the sermon on the Mount love your neighbor. Like uh, if you have two shirts, give one, you know, like the more kind of like socialist to Jesus. It reminds <laughs> me of, of a, a Simpsons quote, Ned Flanders, you know, uh, praying against God. I think it's the episode where the hurricane takes our house and he's like, I don't know what I've done. I followed everything in the Bible, even all the stuff that contradicts the other stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, it's just like, <laughs> and it seems like the mom is um, in love with Deuteronomy, parts of John, and all of Revelation. <laughs> Like those are the part; those are the books of the Bible she cared about. She was just like these are the go tos. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I mentioned during the show, during the watching, we are never more than three feet from a Bible in this house. It's just yeah. all over the place. Um, yeah, Alex, what are your thoughts about uh, Carrie's mom, whose name I don't even remember? I just know her as Piper, Mrs. Right? White, Mrs. White. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think well, she was like extremist to a point where I believe she was like quoting untruthful Bible verses right like when like at that kind of at the start of the movie when carrie gets home and mom gets the phone call from i'm assuming the gym teacher that carrie had her period at school and she's like whacking her in the face with that book yes like and like quoting like quoting all these things and telling carrie to repeat them like she's, lots of casual physical abuse yeah. in this oh movie. my <laughs> god so much so anyway, much slapping anyway continue please <laughs> yeah so like she's slapping carrie and telling carrie to say these things and carrie doesn't want to say these things and i don't remember the exact things that mom wanted carrie to say but i don't recall any of those things being in the bible right it was all about like eve and how she brought sin into the world there was a raven there was a a raven something going on yeah i guess yeah so it's like it's it's like is it even christianity it was like like cult-like to a point right it's a question i have all the time anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's a good point. She was very very like you said, Luke, buffet Christianity, but she only picked like the worst parts picked, of the buffet. She, she picked the worst parts of it and twisted it to make it even worse, right? She was like, "I'll take this horrible, I don't know, what's the worst thing at a buffet? Salmon, probably." Sitting yeah, out yeah, of the yeah. And then I'm going to drop it on the floor. And then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like to me, philosophically, it just goes to show that if you have a wide enough belief system there's there's something in it for everyone including the people who want to see the dark sides of the world that's right yeah and that's what she wanted to see like it was there's very much a self-fulfilling self-narrative in the mom's life right it's like there's this great quote by Nietzsche I love that the the Christian desire to see the world as brutal and unkind has made it brutal and unkind right and and like not across the board but that's the motif we get from the mom for sure and I just want to talk about her at the very end of the movie when she's for the first time she's all in white and this sort of intense juxtaposition between the rest of the movie when she's wearing these big black flowy cape you know flowy robes the big ponchos right a big poncho and all you can see is her really fiery red hair. But then at the end of the movie, when Carrie comes home from the prom and she's all covered in blood, um, Mrs. White is dressed in white and she's portrayed as this very pure, you know, white is a very pure color. It's, you know, got a lot of connotations, you know, brides wear white on the wedding, blah, 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 all that stuff. 
and she is just doing this thing where she's she's got a clarity of vision. She needs to take out her daughter and she needs to to take her down because that's, you know, God has punished her for having sex out of wedlock, basically, or giving into her urges. I, and so I think it was actually so correct me if like I'm wrong, but this is what I got from it when she was telling Carrie about what had happened with uh, Carrie's father. So they had slept in the same bed, but they were like resistant to, you know, having sex and yeah, all that. Prayed. But then like lots of allusions to like whiskey on the breast. So I'm assuming yeah. dad was drunk at one point and I don't know the, the connotation and like I felt that like Carrie's mom Mrs. White was raped by the father mm, yeah but she 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 mentioned that she enjoyed it right yeah so yeah I think you're right it was kind of implied that maybe this wasn't a consensual sexual act but she you know she got some pleasure out of it and got then, the thrills and then God like punished her forever yeah for she that, was like so. I should have killed myself when when yeah she was like i should have killed you when you were in the womb like killed myself yeah. when you're i was still pregnant and yeah again <sighs> carrie's mom get some therapy girl like you need <laughs> it <laughs> yeah well but and that's um that's just another tragedy of dogmatism is that to go to therapy you have to admit that you have a problem exactly right yeah. and part of the defense mechanism of the kind of hardcore ideology the christian ideology that the mom is it's built in to have it not be her about her. Like she's a sinner, but the, mm-hmm. she already has her therapy in a sense. Like it's God's yeah. grace and God's love. And this is what God wants. So there's an inflexibility of being able to pay attention and admit to some of her own shortcomings in a way that would allow her to address them terrestrially. Yeah. Right? Pro- pro- I'm processing my trauma by doing God's work and purging evil, not processing my trauma by talking it out and there's something comforting in that mentally because even if you're suffering you have the whole answers are spread out in front of you you just Mm -hmm. gotta go do it as opposed to therapy which is like a little bit more ground up self-creation yeah and self-discovery through that process which is more uncertain which is not appealing to a particular mentality for sure anyway everyone go get therapy it's really great if (laughs) you can afford it it's it's awesome thank you dr claire you rock um shout out to my therapist um (laughs) thank you dr claire yeah yeah you're great so any more thoughts alex about uh carrie's mom before we move on yeah i mean like i thought she was definitely the most complex character she was the scariest actually i just want to jump in like the scariest person yeah when i was watching it i was kind of looking at it from different points of view right like clearly there is a mother-daughter relationship right and the mother has cared enough for the daughter that, you know, she has provided for her. She's given her, a, like, okay, we're yeah, going to yeah, focus yeah. on, like, the positive parts okay, first, yeah. right? The like, very she's, thinnest of silver yeah, linings. She's, yeah, yeah, yeah. she's provided her with a home, you know, food to live, like, clothing, all that stuff. Like, provided for the basic needs. Frumpy carrots, though. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's got the, the bottom of the Maslow's hierarchy of the pyramid, but no, no other piece. Yeah. So, so there's, there's the mother daughter relationship in which she, she is caring enough for Carrie that she's providing for her. But I felt that she resented Carrie as well, because I, I, I think what I got from it is that she feels that Carrie is God's punishment to her for having her out yes. of wedlock. Right. And yes. then there's obviously fear. She has fear for Carrie. Um, because, you know, like, clearly she's not forcing herself to stop Carrie from going, going to prom because she is scared, and, you know, Carrie can do... Carrie was literally like, sit down, Mom. Like, I'm doing this. You yeah. can't stop me. Using my powers on you. Yeah, so there there was fear towards Carrie, and then, I don't know, it's it's hard to digest, but she was just, like, a weird... She was a weird character, but 
also i think she was really complex as a character lots of lots of angles that you can kind of analyze her from yeah yeah um definitely not a good mom no yeah (laughs) stress use that adjective i mean yeah there's an analogy to be drawn about you know a parent being worried about their child growing up and not being able to protect them anymore like taken to the very extreme right you know Mm -hmm, for sure i feel i i don't have any kids uh we not none of us have our own children but i i can definitely you know a parent's struggle is one day your kids are going to grow up and they're going to do stuff that is different to you is not what you would have done they're going to make their own mistakes and the impulse to want to protect your kids is really strong and obviously she's taken it and twisted it and turned it into this more horrible thing and the analogy the analogy is stretched into the supernatural because (laughs) she's scared because carrie has telekinetic abilities you can be scared that your 16 year old is going to go out and like drink and, and make mistakes and not think they're going to move shit with their mind um so it's it's definitely yeah a stretch analogy which i think a lot of you know a lot of movies do good they they talk about an issue in the most extreme sense and you can bring it back to like a more real problem yeah i think a a good analogy uh, or comparison that luke mentioned was like carrie and mrs white is like uh rapunzel and the whatever the mom is in rapunzel yeah Yeah, exactly yeah Yeah. the overbearing mother who doesn't want you to who's too scared of the world herself probably Mm -hmm. and didn't have life pan out for herself the way that she was hoping so it kind of like an, the overbearing protection then actually is very damaging to the young person trying to come into the world and experience the world and learn and, mm-hmm. and become their own person kind of thing. And so it's like, it's, you know, we all, we all know the story of maybe bad parenting is letting your kids wander around all night in the neighborhood. That's one form of bad parenting. And this, but the other side is maybe like being too far in the opposite Locking direction. them in a closet and forcing them to pray their sins away? Yeah, that's a little yes, different. to a very, very disturbing statue of Jesus. I'm sure more podcasts have described uh, Carrie's mom's performance better than we could ever do. But yeah, I think I think that's enough to say right now. I think, I think we should move on to the main antagonist of the movie, the, the girl Chris, who is the... She's one of the popular girls at school. She's, you know, very pretty and very, very popular and has all the friends. And she's definitely billed as this mean girls type queen bee aspect who hates Carrie for, it seems, no other reason than Carrie is weird. But what did we, what do we think about Carrie? Uh, Nope, not Carrie. We did that part already. What do we think about Chris? Honestly, probably the most boring character in the movie. Okay, tell me more about that. Um, You know her motivations right away. There's no redemption. There's no character development, really. It's just hate Carrie from minute one, hate Carrie till she explodes, explodes, right? (laughs) Right? Like, so in in that sense, she was the most boring character. She was very... She had no arc at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could... There was, like, a little bit where you can see, like, she was getting slapped around by John Travolta, right? So, like, maybe, like, that cycle of abuse had... Because she has, she's in this dysfunctional relationship, she feels the need to take it out on Carrie. You know, like the classic, like I bullied because I bully because I get bullied, yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Um, but outside of that, like minor thing, honestly, I thought she was a boring character. She served her role as an antagonist. Uh, she, I think she did a good job. It's like the whole movie, you just didn't like her. Yeah, you, you, she. I can, I can imagine that being a really tough job as an actor to be like, okay, I have to be hated by everyone. Well, if the thing is, if you're hated by everybody and you're still hated once the movie's done, you did a, you did a good job. You as did a, a good job. Yeah, yeah, right? Like uh, Joffrey from Game of Thrones. I was just going to yeah. mention that, yeah. Uh, fuck, I can't remember. Is it Jackie Gleason 
as Joffrey in Game of Thrones got so much hate delivered on him after the fact because he played this role and Joffrey was such a little shit. He was so bad. I always thought that he and Tom Felton, who played Draco in the Harry Potter movies, mm. they should start a show about like, yeah, they're actually really nice guys. <laughs> and they just played a mean role. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So what about, what about you, Luke? What do you think about Chris? Hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely feel like echoing Alex. I think the kind of like ambient bullies in this movie are one of the reasons why I was kind of, uh, the, 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 they were the underwhelming feature of the movie to me where I just feel like, oh, okay, we're going from A to B to C to D. Here's the roadmap, and here's where we're going to end up. There is, you're right, bringing up, there's some subtlety there, and then her, like, the only scene where she doesn't seem like she's the Queen Bee Alpha is with John Travolta, but it also seems, like, obviously he's physically abusive, but it seems like a two-way dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just definitely something not right in this relationship from both directions. It is not a healthy relationship. No, not at all. Um, yeah. but, but it's like, okay, I guess I'd like her and John Travolta's character and Red Hat Girl, who's funny, I guess. But what do we dub her? Super Maria? <laughs> yeah, something like Super that. Maria. Yeah, she looked like Super Mario's sister, right? I I just found all of them, and then that other guy who like wanted to be the um, count the ballots, right? Like so, basically, the lackey. All, yeah, yeah, the lackey. All of the teenage villains were like cartoon villains to me in a sense or like caricatures it's like okay here's your bully they're gonna go bully they bully that's what they did they were bullies yes and Uh, so it's like i I don't know i guess maybe and maybe this happened before other movies so it's like more original but it's like oh i've seen this trope a hundred times yeah you know you know the the bully is the trope of the mustache twirling (laughs) villain right you know there's a scene where Chris is getting ready to pull the cord to like drop all the blood on Carrie and it zooms in on her like lips and she's licking her lips in glee. She's just like so stoked on this prank that she's going to pull. And she's so like, she's yeah, she's just painted Mm -hmm. as like bad from the start, bad to the end. She has no remorse, anything, even when she gets detention for, you know, horrifying Carrie in the showers and, and leading all the bullying and chanting and throwing and stuff. She's not, admitting that she did anything wrong she's mm-hmm. just like this is bullshit this is dumb you can't say i can't go to the prom this is no good I, she did have a good case where she said she could get the teacher fired and really the teacher should have been fired a lot of times because <laughs> yeah. she just like fully slaps students in the face she you know and and we all in our jobs work with children in some way or another and it's like no matter what they're doing like you don't hurt a child you don't yeah. put your hands on them you don't enact violence in any way and like there's 1976 been times where yeah 1976 <laughs> there's been times when you know, a kid is like really driving you crazy and you're just like but like mm-hmm. what is the what is behind their words but i mean know? also in fairness like all those girls should have been at least suspended from what they did at the oh, beginning of sure. the movie yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 like that was terrible what they the did fact to that they were allowed to go to prom anyway was bonkers yeah um, so I, but I, because the story needed it that's why yeah I, I guess i also have a frustration in like it doesn't seem to me that the bullies have any other motivation other than malicious cruelty to someone weaker than them mm-hmm. which is a, a certainly not a motivation i can relate to or empathize in any matter but also and maybe this is part of the unrealism of the movie is that at least experientially i much more relate to and know people who stick up against that kind of thing that mm-hmm. kind of attitude. And there just didn't seem to be anyone in the movie. There was no like, hey, shut the fuck up, people. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. hey, Chris, 
you're a bitch. Stop that. And it's like, she's just, because she's the alpha, she gets to yeah, like, she's, she's, she's basically invincible as the alpha. And I'm like, that just doesn't totally jive with my maybe more sophisticated experience of human dynamics. But we've seen, we've seen her character in tons of things. You know, there's always a, a queen bee or a, yeah. a head cheerleader who's mean or a Regina George, you know, from, from mean girls. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's, she's a very clear villain it, it's it's not a, a very three-dimensional performance at all she was just there to make carrie's life a living hell and you know she nailed it like she nailed it sure, she, yeah. was, she was bo- boring as a as a character maybe but i thought the actress whose name i, I can't recall played it really well f- for making us feel what we needed to which was to hate her and she she nailed that one out of the out of the park but you said like nobody really stood up to her and i think that's a perfect segue into the character of sue slash tommy who you know sue didn't stand up to her but sue saw that carrie was suffering and we saw her try to be a a sympathetic character like the only person who in the movie was really sympathetic to her and we went back and forth on it like while the movie was on we were talking is she in on this scheme is she setting it up i got that one wrong yeah luke (laughs) i was i was living in hope i was like come on sue tommy you're the good guys and it was so so gratifying to see that they weren't in on it. It definitely gave you a lot of film to have Sue realizing what was happening. I think we watched the rope going from the rope to the bucket, back down to the rope, being held by Chris, back up to the bucket where it's wobbling. It was like two solid minutes of film. And we're just like, we get it. Sue, figure it out faster, please. Yeah, but so like... <laughs> This is not a deep criticism of this movie, but I have to say it. Go for it. Um, is this the prequel to the movie Clueless? Because there is nobody with any savvy in this movie no, at all. It, no, like, it's the least how, savvy. How, is, how do they not notice this bucket of pig's blood that's been there for who knows how many days right? that must stink? It must smell uh, so bad. Did no one suspect any motivation of anyone else? Of any, like it's just like there's just this like a kind of like a lamb innocence to everyone in this movie, like a kind of thoughtlessness and innocence and cluelessness that just uh, at a visceral level rubs me the wrong way when I'm watching movies. Like you're stupid, you're stupid. Yeah, how did you not see this coming? So oh, and then there's like that long scene of Subi like this row. It's like slow motion. Everyone's clapping, and you're like. What what do you think is happening? Right, and and I get that they they probably did that to build up the payoff of the blood falling, but yeah, oh man, it was just such a slow pace, and mm. I think that's a product of movies made in the seventies. Definitely, like, yeah, things were so much slower. They had like a long time, lots of long scenes, and nowadays it's way faster and way snappier. And that's that's me. This is the deeper criticism of an era. This isn't a carry criticism. This isn't even yeah. a horror movie criticism. It's like an era criticism. It feels like when I watch a lot of movies from the seventies and the eighties. The, the the filmmakers and the storytellers kind of have an assumption that their audience is not that smart. So they have yes. to make everything obvious. And, and like you have to make the, like dumbest, the yeah. dumbest theater patron exactly. know what's going on. Yeah. And if you got it 15 seconds earlier, then mm-hmm. just enjoy all the extra yeah. like, pipe we're laying. And, and that's just not to my palate. No, right? yeah, you're right. <laughs> it, it is very tedious in something. So Alex, thoughts about Sue? I I like Sue, honestly, from the start. I I think when we were watching the movie, I was cheering for Sue the whole time. Yeah, I think, uh, like, one of the the things that kind of made me feel that way is, like, that scene where, um, you know, Mrs. White drops in unexpectedly at Sue's house and talks to Sue's mom and is like, 
girls these days are living in sin, blah, blah, blah. But then Sue's mom's like, no, like Sue's a good girl. Like, right. And uh, I, I definitely felt that as, um, you know, um, as was like an important driving part of Sue's character. I could see during detention um, or even when uh, the gym teacher was yelling at all the girls after they like did that graffiti in the gym wall, um, I could see like out of all the characters, I could see Sue actually the look on her face actually was like remorse. Yeah, like she got she got led into she got sucked into Chris's schemes and went along with it and then felt bad after. Yeah, it's it's tell. it's it's mom mentality, right? Like yeah. you're in the moment, everyone else is doing it. You or feel... like the popular girl is doing it, so I want to like I don't right. want to lose clout. I don't want to have Chris's ire turned towards me, so it's better for me to just like. But it was it was interesting because during detention, when Chris walks off, Sue's Sue's just like, "Shut up, Chris." Yeah, shut up, Chris. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I felt I felt like. But she didn't say that to her face. You know, she only said it once Sue was, or once Chris was down the field a ways. And she right. was like, shut up, man. Yeah. What about you? You know, she was, she was obviously afraid to confront Chris and to confront a bully. And that was, again, mm-hmm. like you said, Luke, nobody stood up to the bully to be yeah. like, why don't you just fuck off for a minute? Yeah. yeah. Cause um, like, again, I think Chris is a paper tiger. Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no substance behind her bravado. True. She, like, it would be easy to deflate those kind of people, I think. Uh, you just have to, like, put the courage out there to do it yeah i agree yeah um and then you know like i know uh when when sue asked tommy to ask carrie to prom <sighs> <Tommy>. like <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll get into tommy later we'll into tommy. <laughs> um but yeah i i know the two of you were kind of like questioning sue's motives and all that and i i loved how immediately once wh- while we're watching the movie and we're like this is not like Sue's up to something. Immediately, the gym teacher's like, "Yeah, they're up to something as well, right?" So that kind of like let, that reflects yeah. on our real life, um, like kind of thoughts and feelings about it. We were at the same stage as the gym teacher. Yeah, so yeah. I, I really like that part. But then I think like during that whole like teacher interrogation with Tommy and Sue, it's like like what, why are you really doing this? And Sue's like, "Well, I I want like I want to help carry out like I want her to," which you know at the same time I felt that was kind of an extreme way like. You know, instead of just getting your boyfriend to ask Carrie to go to prom, why don't you invite Carrie to eat lunch with you? You know, kind of ease her in, right? <laughs> yeah, like, right? hey, be like, hey, Carrie, I really like that poem you wrote. Or, hey, Carrie, I like your shoes. Or, hey, Carrie, you want to you want to eat <laughs> yeah. lunch with me? Yeah. Hey, Carrie, you want to walk home yeah. together? It's like, yeah, yeah. no, just go to get my boyfriend, ask Carrie to prom. That's that's how we're going to do it. Like, just right, right into well, it. Well, again. I'm going to have to take uh, you down so hard. <laughs> again, <laughs> Alex. Edit. Not a movie of subtleties. No, no, absolutely <laughs> not. But like, it was two temperatures, hot and pig's blood. Yeah, but you know, I was I was Team Sue the whole time for the movie. Like there yeah. was there was a second where I thought Sue like because when Sue sneaks like leaves uh, dinner and goes to prom at eight and she's like kind of hiding behind the stage and you yeah. see the rope and she looks at it first and it's wiggling and she looks away. I was like, oh no, Sue's in on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then right at, like once once you realize oh she's actually not into it, I was like Sue's completely great character. Um, kind of. The friend that you want, mm. um, and yeah, I, I really like Sue. So, character. do you interpret then the last scene where she's kind of like haunted by the memory of Carrie? Because at first I was like, "Why is Carrie hurting Sue? Sue's the only one who's kind of on her side." But then I'm like thinking it more from Sue's perspective. Is it more like just being haunted by the fact that she didn't do enough to help Carrie? I think along that might have been it. I think that yeah. was. I think that was absolutely the message you're supposed to take. Is you know, Sue is left with this guilt. This. N- n- maybe some survivor's guilt as well, because it seems like she was maybe the only person in the school gymnasium to survive the fire. And, um, and yeah, so guilt about 
living when nobody else did and guilt about not helping Carrie, you know, you, she must be just tortured by the fact that, yeah, she, yeah. she could have asked Carrie to sit with her at lunch. She could have, mm. you know, sat next to her in the library and hung out. She could have walked her home. All those things you suggested she could have done. And she's probably just like, ah, like, you know, she's, she's got to be racked with that guilt. And it was hilarious to hear the mom on the phone with the doctor being like, well, she's young. She's probably going to forget all of this. And it was like, no, she's not. She's a teenager. I remember she went out as a teenager. Yeah. And, yeah. and especially I would remember uh, mass murder. I would, yeah. I remember my school burning down. I don't know. Maybe you can repress a trauma. And all like my that, friends but... dying in that fire. What, what, one yeah. thing that I felt bad for Sue about, like outside of the whole, like, you know, all my friends are dead and I'm like traumatized oh, by outside this. Outside of that. Yeah. Outside of that <laughs> was, um, you know, when she, when she like follows the rope, and like the string to the bucket and she realizes what's going on and she peeks under the stage and she sees Chris and um Billy Billy John Travolta's name is Billy okay so she she sees Chris and Billy no relation <laughs> yeah he spells it differently than me it's fine yeah, yeah. um and uh the gym teacher sees her and like yanks her out and throws her out of the gym because she, obviously the gym teacher thinks that Sue's up to something no good yeah so the but then the gym been, teacher ends up dying so the last thing, yeah. thought that the gym teacher had about sue is that sue is a bad person i felt really bad about that yeah yeah uh you're right and and i think just because you know sue had been seen hanging out with chris the whole time in the movie in school they're friends so the teachers just jumped to conclusions and been like well she's up to something mm, because yeah. chris is up to something and she's not dressed for prom so she must be up to something that, that kind of oh yeah and then the whole me. like oh tommy's going with uh carrie to the prom i can't go to the prom anymore can't go to the prom if you don't have a date like aside i went to prom i went to grad with my parents uh that was a traumatic traumatizing moment <laughs> we don't need to get into that <laughs> yeah i just so many weird decisions so many weird decisions <laughs> made um, in the movie but yeah sue and like did the gym teacher not see like the clear things that sue was seeing in that moment because like, i thought i thought the gym teacher was cluing into it she seemed to also be in the it felt like two hours of slow motion looking at a rope and a bucket. It felt like the gym teacher was starting to catch on. And then it was just, it. she did the calculus wrong and came out with Sue is the bad person here and get rid of Sue instead of, you know, following the literal thread of the rope. Like, why don't you look at what Sue's looking yeah. under the stage? <laughs> look where she is. Maybe she's under there for a reason. Like, mm -hmm. at least if you think Sue's up to something, if you think she's planning something, maybe check out under the stage because maybe Sue put something out of the stage she was checking on, mm. you know? Yeah. It's just... <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like... Overall, I like Sue. I like Sue and I like Tommy. Uh, I'm so glad. Yeah. I'm sad Tommy died, but everyone died. But I'm so glad that he was just this, like, lovable oaf, you know? He's just he's just a good guy. Yeah. He just wants to help out. His, you know, dating technique <laughs> is, it leaves something to be desired in 2020. Just like, I'll just keep asking until you say yes is, uh, kids, not a great way to <laughs> get a partner. <laughs> so don't take that. Uh, lesson from Tommy but I really like that he did he wasn't in on it he was you know he was he was just trying to be a nice guy and he you know I think he really maybe he didn't like Carrie in a romantic way but he could tell that she had no friends and he want he was just being he was just being a nice dude just being a solid a solid dude so yay Tommy great mm -hmm. curls yeah um what I what I thought about Tommy was like y you kind of mentioned he might not have had any romantic feelings towards Carrie but like Either he did, or he is the best teenager with the purest heart in the entire world, right? Because, like, <laughs> Tommy is unimpeachable. Yeah, he, 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 not, like, because I know 
from my point of view, if if someone asked me to do this favor that I didn't really want to do, I would half-ass it, right? For sure. He went full out. He yeah, picked he her did. up. He bought her flowers. He sat with her. He he didn't leave her. He didn't just like, here you go. You're at prom. Now I'm going to go talk to my friends. He only did that when like the teacher was there and teacher would keep carry company, but he came right back. Yeah. He you was know? like, do you want to dance? She's like, no. He's yeah, like, okay, cool. He, we'll sit together. Yeah, we'll sit together. And then finally he convinces her to dance. He teaches her how to dance. He compliments her. They have, they have a lovely conversation. He it's kisses so nice. her. Yeah. And like, you well, know, I, I actually think that he was starting to crush her more as prom went on. Yeah, because so. maybe, right, like, maybe in he that finally night even yeah, he, he started developing feelings. Exactly. Like he like once you finally get to know Carrie, she's actually a lovely person. And he was like, mm-hmm. I really like you, you know? Yeah, you're actually you're, you're and, interesting. You have some good And I, I don't know if it was in the plan or not. I don't know if Sue was like, Hey Tommy, when you take Carrie to the prom, um, you know, kiss her as well. Like I don't know if that was in the plan. <laughs> like that doesn't seem very realistic for, you know, like I assume Tommy and Sue like are a platonic, yeah, uh, kindness together, right? I yeah. The assumption was they were already dating. Yeah, it wasn't like it, especially in 1972. It wasn't like a a platonic friendship that was going on between her and Tommy. I felt like they were dating. They were a couple, and you know, <laughs> she was just like, "Do this favor for me," because she says literally, "I need you to do a favor for me." He's like, "What is it?" She's like, it's really important. We'll talk under the bleachers where you, Luke, was like, under the bleachers, that's where schemes happen. Yeah, that's the high school version of the deep, dark back room where cigar smoking (laughs) conspiracies are hatched. Yeah, so I I honestly felt that Tommy started to develop, like, positive, strong, even romantic feelings towards Carrie based off of that whole very nauseating dance scene. Oh, it was, I, I got real, I had to look away because it was just spinning around so much. But, yeah, a moment... For poor Tommy. We lost him too soon. Uh, Robert Plant. Yeah, Robert Plant. <laughs> so, uh, how about the most stereotypical hair of the 70s Just the... with Carrie and uh, Tommy, hey? Yeah, yeah, At yeah. the prom is like, okay, that's what the <laughs> many males' hair looked like. And this is the stereotype of the female right, hair Just the of the super, 70s. Super curly, puffy. There was, you said in the scene where Chris and, and Billy are in the car, you're like, they're having a competition to see who's, whose hair is the puffiest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And you said they're both winning. <laughs> they're both winning. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's most of the characters. Well, like the gym teacher and the principal have a minor role. Well, actually, so just to close the door on Tommy. Oh, sure. I think it's like a wisdom thing. Sue as well, but Tommy even more so is like, I think that's, you You really see the danger of not having savvy or or like, because t- Tommy's kind of gullible, right? Like he's, he does seem that kind of oafish, which is nice. It's pleasant, but it's just not kind of enough to make sure that you are taking care of injustices maybe or like being more discretionary or vigilant around people who could be abused or hurt because I, I just again I don't want to hammer on this but when Tommy looks up and he sees that bucket like there's just like kind of this look of surprise on his face like wait someone's gonna mess with Carrie at the prom wait, what is happening and it's just like I I, I can't relate to that <laughs> just like Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I, I just guess I wish Tommy and Sue were just a little bit more kind of like observant about the world around them. Yeah, he was he was very much a nice guy, but not like an active force for good. Like he was just they, of... they were the heroes of the movie without actually being heroes. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because, yeah, I don't think Carrie is the hero of the movie. She's <laughs> definitely the, the protagonist, she's a but she's she's a, the tragitagonist. Maybe. Can we make that a word? Yeah. I did want to float a hypothesis about the principal, though. Okay. For the two of you to chew on for a Love second, it. because I, 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 it's he's an interesting contrast because basically everybody else who is kind of a villain in this movie are visceral villains, like they're just kind of repugnant, 
at base, right? Like you just, oh, I see how you're acting. Because even the gym teacher who's like supposed to be the ally is like, I don't like her. <laughs> I don't like how she's abusive to get like, so it's like you get a visceral reaction to how much you dislike everyone who you're supposed to dislike. But my reaction to the principal is I, I don't like him. And I think he represents a different kind of evil in this movie. Like mm. everyone else represents the evil of aggression or malevolence he yeah. represents the evil of indifference yeah to the, the struggle the banality the banality of, of evil, evil right yeah, and sure. and um and because there's that scene where he's like he doesn't remember carrie's name like three or four times yeah he calls her cassie a, cassie, a few times so it's like it's like she doesn't even register to him as someone to care about and like look out for which if you think about his role as a principal he's the authority of the school so like in a sense he gets the final say of how he's going to be dictating what people in the school are going to be caring about what kind of like values are we disseminating in our culture here kind of thing like he he because he could he would have the power let's say to go to the to call in the bullies and say if you do that again, you're expelled. Mm-hmm. Just try me. That's bullshit. Like other people can do that culturally. He can do that hierarchically. Yeah, right. He's, he's got all the power and, and he doesn't use it. Yeah. And so I think, I don't know, this is a completely different can of worms, but I don't know. I feel like that kind of evil is representative of the beginning of kind of like systematic problems and or systemic problems in your institutions or in your mm-hmm. hierarchies because oh, yeah. he... He kind could of, he could root like he could root out that bullying in a sense, and he's just like, "Who's Cassie?" Yeah, kind yeah. of like, a, <laughs> like it doesn't affect me, so I don't really care yeah, about so, it. Yeah, so so like mm-hmm. his indifference to the suffering of one of his students makes it possible for people to be terrible to that student later. Which obviously there are parallels. I mean, the banality of evil comes from Hannah Arendt, which was talking about World War II, yep. and the kind of like indifference of so many of the Nazis to the Jewish people's play. It was like, well, I was just following orders. Yep, it's like whatever. <laughs> Yeah, so I think yeah. he was definitely yeah the principal. He's hard done by. It seemed like you, you know as a principal, it's it's going to be hard. You have the whole school to take care of, and you're not going to catch anything. But yeah, he was he only showed compassion when he had to, um, when she was sad and when she was physically in the office, and he was like, "Oh, geez, I don't know. Do we send her home? What do I do? I'm, I'm we can call you a cab. We can call you a cab if you want." Um, I thought it was funny. He looked. He looked very much like um, Principal Dondelinger from The Simpsons uh, oh, yeah. when okay. Homer goes to his high school reunion. And, and and just, I don't know if that was an archetype they drew from, but the, you know, the stuffy principal type, a little bit, you know, older guy, balding, you know, chubby, whatever. Uncomfortable talking about things happening to female students. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just so much male discomfort in this movie. Yeah. And the teachers, again, they were not like you said they were not drawn in a three-dimensional way they were there to i don't know get in carrie's way like even principal or not principal whatever her name is miss collins i think the gym teacher you can tell that she wants to help but when a person is in crisis and freaking out on the gym you know on the shower floor slapping them in the face is not a great way to get their attention and <laughs> right you know again 1976 it was 1976, probably filmed in 1975. So even earlier, but you know, a different time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, the, the principal does represent the sort of indifference of the system yeah. to the little person. Like, mm-hmm. unless you are annoying me directly, I don't care. And, and how much unforeseen tragedy can happen if you have an unfit person in charge of something? 
<laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Good one, Luke. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, <laughs> yes, the world is a nightmare. Anyway. So, yeah, that's, that's most of the characters. But then I kind of wanted to talk about the idea of prom and in these movies in teen movies it's always prom is such a huge thing and especially in the states it seems like prom is prom is the big show for your graduation for high school and it gave me thoughts about my own grad in high school and i kind of wanted to ask you how you felt about grad in you know growing up whenever you did graduate what was that experience like was it a, as big a deal as prom is in the states and you know i'd like to i'd like to hear your thoughts fight over it who goes first? uh <laughs> yeah no i can't go first I, I thought i saw i think there's a bird <laughs> sounds like a bird well like a bird on the grass just walking around there's magpies anyway my grad was a lot of fun actually i had a i don't th- it's not quite the kind of cultural touchstone i think like it is in america but it was a, it was a weekend event in the sense that on the friday we had the kind of cap and gown uh, come up get your diploma valedictorian aspect and then on the saturday we had the um presentation of the couples and our tuxedos and our dresses and we did this thing called a cavalcade where they would close off the main street for like a parade of all the grads and you could have all these kind of cool cars and stuff like that so we're the whole town kind of celebrates for you kind of thing and then that night the parents helped facilitate the party as in like all the like different shifts parents were there and uh they bought the kegs kind of thing and so it was like that's they, what's up <laughs> yeah they were they were facilitating the party making sure everyone was safe but still letting all the teens party on on one of the it was like in the country on someone's property so i actually had a really awesome grad um nice any pig's I, blood no no pig's blood I, I i'm trying to think like yeah i can't really I, I wouldn't say there was a connection to like what you see in movies to what mine was other than it was just kind of fun to celebrate because it's a very trans like a transitional period of life and i think it's fun to celebrate those kind of things totally if you like obviously you can go too far and make a almost a cult out of it it's like my my grad was a nice ritual that didn't have cultish <laughs> aspects it was just, it was to just it. a nice time everyone yeah. had a good time and had see your fun. friends Love it. Okay, see your friends good. in tuxedos and then hit the kegs with them later in the night kind of thing awesome uh, what about you alex um grad i think um kind of grad for someone like at that age right it's it is a big event there aren't i i would assume there's not too many life achievements up to the point where you're 17 18 for sure it's the biggest thing you've done exactly yeah you finished high school you are either just starting to become an adult or you're entering adulthood and everyone's kind of figuring what they're going to do with your life so it's like it's a it was a nice celebration kind of like hey we're done high school we had a lot of fun, you know, like with your friends and stuff. And you kind of reminisce about all that. And you're looking forward to the next step in your life. So for me, um, grad, it wasn't like a huge deal. It was kind of like a, you know, hey, we'll go to this thing. We'll like, we'll just sit around. We'll shoot the shit. We'll talk. And, you know, um, I think different groups of like different cliques had their own different kind of thing. Like I know some groups of people, like they went all out. They do like the, they do the whole, oh, we're going to, 
get dressed we're gonna get into a limo we're gonna go over um like the view of the whole city and we're gonna take pictures up there nice and um but then like there's some that like go way out for that and you know i i don't have any i didn't have any problem with it it was like if that's what you wanted to do and that's what you you know like you're gonna build your memory of grad for that and for me my grad was um you know we we sat at the table we talked we laughed um like some parents were there as well and then with with my group of friends we we kind of left at a reasonable time and then we all uh went to a friend's basement we played wrestling video games and got drunk and that was like that was my grad (laughs) wonderful yeah my my grad was so different and it's it's you know, I, I have a lot of uh, history wrapped up in, in my teenage years um, for, you know, for podcast listeners. I am trans. Uh, I only came out a couple of years ago. It's been a process, but I've been recovering memories of like what I missed out on. And when I was graduating, I remember just feeling like uncomfortable. I had a borrowed suit from my, I think my dad. I actually went with my parents. It was an uncomfortable time. I remember just this feeling of jealousy I couldn't quite put my finger on. Um, it took me a while to figure it out. But so for me, grad was always something that it felt like it was an ex- expectation that you had to go to grad and you had to have fun. And I was just like, I think I might be messed up because I'm not having fun at grad and I, I didn't enjoy this. And so, yeah, when whenever movies put this prom is the be all end all, um, prom is the biggest point of your life, which it totally is when you're 17, 18, you haven't done anything. But for me, it was more sad than it was a, a joyous time. And it was just like, okay, I'm just I'm just graduating and, and we'll do final exams and I'll go into university and that'll be the end of it. So uh, I never I never got the hype of grad and like watching other people in high school. I remember people asking dates and, and renting limos and, and tuxes and stuff. And I was just like watching, you know, like watching animals at a zoo. Not like the, not to say that people at high school were animals, but just like I'm an outside observer to all this being like, I don't understand what everyone's doing. So that's uh, that's my relationship with grad and the past. And it's interesting to see it in the movies because it's like, this is never anything that was for me. Has your attitude about it or thoughts about it changed at all or just more reflected in the interim years? Yes, definitely. I think I've mellowed on it and it's it's such a fun if if you want to go and have fun and you can do it in a way that you're happy and safe obviously go ahead i'm not going to begrudge anybody having fun at their grad because their joy does not make my unjoy worse or whatever mm-hmm. it's, it's two separate things so yeah. I, I don't think i yeah i don't begrudge anybody who had fun at grad or or looks forward to grad and you know people who were looking forward to it this year uh, when everything is canceled, <laughs> right. that's, uh, you know, that's got to be hard for you to be in high school and, and to have the, the thing that everyone's talked about being the big pinnacle of your career right, to that right, day just right. being canceled because of mm-hmm. just one lousy pandemic. For disclosure, I think the pandemic's <laughs> a big deal. <laughs> but it's still lousy. It is lousy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess just thinking about it now with you bringing it up, because I obviously very I'm very distasteful of pomp and ceremony for its own sake. And there is that element of grad, like pretty clear. Like it might even be the biggest element of it. I mean, one of the songs <laughs> is called Pomp and Circumstance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I guess it's like if you can approach it with a kind of an ironic self-awareness, you can kind of enjoy the parts of it that are not the pomp and ceremony parts, which is just like kind of shooting the shit with your friends, uh, but with just like totally. tuxedos on yeah, kind of thing. So Just we're a bit, we're a bit nicer looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that was a 
big garden path about the prom. Um, I wonder... <laughs> Far be it from us to not wander. Right? Uh, just to uh, grab the wheel and steer it back to the talk about Carrie. Jesus, uh, take the wheel. <laughs> scary Jesus, take the wheel. Yeah, like those eyes, hey? Oh, fucking I'm, so like, creepy. Rob Zombie meets the crucifix. <laughs> I I wonder where you know this this is officially out of two the earliest movie we've watched 1976 versus mm. 1982 but it's after I believe Psycho and when Hitchcock made the things right. and I wonder if Stephen King drew any inspiration the town seemed like it was maybe called Bates and if that was a reference to Psycho you know Norman Bates at the Bates Motel anytime Carrie used her telekinetic power there was the really sharp shot of strings that is very reminiscent of the psycho shower scene even like you know alex you mentioned when piper laurie's gone totally off the deep end and is like raising the knife to stab carrie it's very much in the same <laughs> shape of you know the norman bates holding the knife to stab um whatever the actress's name is again to be hedron i want to say um mm, janet lee maybe, maybe? janet lee I don't know. I can't remember. Don't come at me, uh, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> the shower scene in Psycho. The shower scene in Psycho. You know what I'm talking about. The one that you think the movie's about. <laughs> yes, the person I'm thinking of. <laughs> well, I'll put it to you this way. If Stephen King wasn't thinking of Alfred Hitchcock when he wrote the book, I sure as shit Brian De Palma was. <laughs> For sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, like, I thought the use of sound and music in this movie was really great. You liked it better. I liked it, I liked it better than... Um, poltergeist for sure okay um i i i still think like it was a little bit excessive like the loud music would play like loud scary music would play when you're supposed to feel scared but um i really like the contrast of like the really soft gentle music you know like at the beginning the shower scene it's like it's nice and calm calm music right and it's like it makes you feel calm right and then i think that was also around the end of the movie they still they, they kind of played similar music as well mm-hmm. and then suddenly um it just like cranked it up to 11 and you get the scary sounds but i thought the sound effects were well done i thought the music really set the mood right in this movie and yeah i I liked it i i really enjoyed the the death scene of the mom i i thought that was actually probably the best part of the movie in terms of like the horror genre for sure it was the scariest part yeah it was the scariest part and it's like um and again i mean I, i don't I can't help but make comparisons. That's just how my brain works. It's like there are, especially in a lot of modern horror movies, there's just so many great build up to crazy death scenes or like, oh my gosh, we just went from zero to a hundred in terms of the plot or the narrative. And for most of this movie, um, even the things that happened that were bad, I was like, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But like there's just a kind of the creativity in the symbolism of it being a like a crucifix type scene but then carrie telekinetically shooting all those knives into her body i was like oh yeah that's a cool death scene i didn't see coming yeah especially uh, the vegetable peeler and the little icing spreading <laughs> exactly, <statue. laughs> exactly everything hey if that thing flies with that much velocity it's going in you so right? <laughs> yep that's kind of um I, I i like to see that because i can see where other horror movies in its wake came up with or, or, I mean, Carrie maybe didn't do it first, but uh, the kind of, like, crazy ending, <laughs> right? Like, the, the, mm-hmm. the crazy ending to a horror movie. A second movie. Yeah. A second movie in a row where the house collapses at the end. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some horror movies that are, like, they're just kind of scary the whole way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a climax. And then there's some horror movies that are slower burns that build up and then have a crazy ending. And I see Carrie more in that latter category 
of a build up to a crazy ending. Yeah, it was it was again very much like I mentioned in uh, the last episode, a horror movie is, isn't horror all the time. You have to see part of the slice of life normal occurrences and they did this I think much much better. They they sliced in or spliced in stuff about Carrie's telekinesis pretty pretty well throughout. We did get to see normal high school. You know, we got to see a classroom full of bored students listening to a teacher read a, a poem and, you know, throwing paper at each other and just, you know, being being normal teenagers, right? Being normal saw, high school. Saw John teenagers. Travolta just chugging that PBR while driving. Yeah. I did like the American graffiti motif of that, that scene, was, though. That, that felt like it was from another movie. And and it went, again, to, to establishing those characters as bad people you know he's he's drinking he's hitting his girl he's getting called a shit and um kind of flirting with a whole other car of girls as they're driving yeah, by right. while he's in the car with his girlfriend yeah so it was definitely like audience john travolta is the bad guy but yeah i i, I like those little slice of life moments and it, it ratcheted up the tension pretty well uh knowing that the blood scene was coming and not knowing when you really felt it grow as soon as they get to the prom. You're like, Oh, I know what's going to happen. And I know how long it's going to be just, yeah. Just having that go uh, build and build and build until we get the scene. Uh, and, and before we wrap it up here, I just want to again, shout out to Sissy SpaceX, like intense, like just the way she held her body with the, with the pig's butt on her and just like her eyes, her, her wide eyes and her intense go like, there's a reason that this is, held up as like a very classic moment in cinema and her walking down the stage as the gym lights on fire and just, yeah. Like and the, the red lighting everywhere. The red lighting, like it was just very, very well done. And, and like so. the sound cuts out too, right? It's, yeah. It's silent for a little bit and that really adds to like the visual aspect of it, which I really love. Yeah, so I think we should rate this do, thing. Do okay. you have any, just a last thought on like any Stephen King aspects of this? Because I, mm, right. I, I think it, I, I would be really interested to read the book now because to me the great thing left out of the movie is the background and the kind of functioning of the telekinesis yeah, yeah right yeah. like okay. how did she get this what does it mean what's what where did it come from and i feel like in a book that's probably something you could flesh out better you you had yeah. mentioned um before we watched the movie that the book was a uh epistolary epistolary so would, say that 10 times fast so, so the book is like kind of from carrie's perspective i haven't read it but i know that epistolary means it's written from the the book is is all like letters or diary entries newspaper or clippings. newspaper clippings yeah. or something like it's not a straight once upon a time beginning middle end narrative the narrative is built from these clippings and you gather the story from them. so so while I haven't read the book at all I'd be interested to see if maybe there's more of a an excerpt from one of the books she's looking at about telekinesis mm. um, right. or there's a diary entry about her growing up or or something you know that would be a very interesting thing to to go and i think you said luke uh the stephen king of it being a you know a supernatural thing but like a real life thing going on in the background or, yeah. or as the, the main thing and i think very clearly bullying overburdened parenting growing up changing like those themes were very very prevalent yeah and just abuse <laughs> and just yeah, yeah good old-fashioned yeah. abuse yeah that's like the the i think the best takeaway line i've ever heard of stephen king is someone saying his human villains are so much more terrifying than his supernatural villains mm -hmm. and uh, just a matter of taste like i've recently watched like the castle rock series which is based on a lot of his work and the outsider and it's i'm 
I'll, I'll frame it in the positive way. I'm very impressed with how much more terrifying the human villains are in some of the more modern adaptations of his works okay. than in something like Carrie. But again, of the era. And right? considering we didn't have a supernatural villain in this yeah, one. true. We had just human villains and then a girl who had a power. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. so we'll, we'll have to keep an eye out for any other Stephen King movies or ad- adapted books into movies that we do watch because I think it'll be interesting to, to point out those those human villains and to talk about them. But yeah, so let's rank it out of five stars this week. I'll go first this week. I really like this movie. I was not very scared. I really liked the way it was acted. All the roles are really, really well done. And so I'm going to go ahead and give this one a four out of five. Alex? Uh, sure, yeah. Ranking Carrie. Okay, so we'll do, we'll do a little Carrie scale. So if Carrie Carrie Fisher oh, five if, if oh. Carrie Fisher is a five <laughs> I like and Carrie Lamb is a zero who's Carrie Lamb she's a uh, chief executive of Hong Kong oh yeah Carrie- <laughs> whole another thing but I I rank her at a zero Jeez, read a book Luke <laughs> yeah come on all right so if Carrie Fisher's a five and Carrie Lamb's a zero and we'll say Carrie Underwood's like a three okay <laughs> I'm gonna give Carrie Carrie f- White Ca- Carrie White okay I'm gonna give her a four. Wow. Four to five. For Four carry. to five carries. Four to five carries. <laughs> Where does Jim Carrey fit? <laughs> Jim Carrey, he's like he's out of there. He's like a integer that you've never even heard of. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, God. Okay. Well, I guess I get to be the wet blanket on you, this yeah, movie, but ahead. that's okay. Because for for the movie that it is, it's it's fine. I think it's it's definitely you can see it as a progenitor to a lot of horror tropes, which is cool. I think we talked about that in Poltergeist. Uh, it's just I guess it happens to be the tropes in Poltergeist I like more than mm. the tropes in Carrie, so that's fine. Okay. I, I I clearly I'm admitting this to myself. I clearly have a bias towards how dialogue and language is used in movies. Yep. And I just clear. felt the simplicity of the script of Carrie really took away from the experience of me enjoying the movie and like the combination of. I, I didn't think the script was very good in terms of the dialogue written for the characters to say to each other, and the acting was a very over-the-top in a lot of the scenes, so I felt like I was watching a kind of melodrama part of the time, and so that that took me out of the narrative a lot of the time. I just couldn't help but think, like, that's not how I would talk to people in this situation. Luke, that's you, did, you didn't just think that. You said that out loud <laughs> I, know, I, I, know, I know, I know. <laughs> so I'm admitting that it's a personal bias yep. and a taste issue that I, I think I have to give this one two out of five. Okay, here, here, here's a question. Um, Average of 3.3, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's say you went into this movie without knowing anything about it. Okay. Like, you didn't know it was about telekinesis. You didn't know about the mother. You didn't know about the pig's blood. You didn't know anything about prom. Like, let's say you went into a blind. Would that change how you felt about this movie? Uh, honestly, if I didn't know anything about it, I might even give it a lower score. <laughs> All right, that's fair. So Interesting. Um, but it's like... It's hard to rate because I think that this, this... Okay, I'll put it to you this way. This movie, I think, is very era-dependent on how I would feel about it. So if I watched this movie okay. in 1976 knowing the culture of movies in 1976, there's a good chance I might have liked it more. Okay. But I, I just... I can't take out of my mind comparisons I would make to similar movies to it that you are more modern. You can't take off your 2020 vision. I can't. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I do and, wonder... And so, and so it's like, ugh, I just don't... I guess the most objective version of my brain says, okay, this movie's maybe like a three out of five, but I, I just can't escape my own biases on this. So I, best I, I can do is admit to them. Sure, I, I do great. wonder though, 
um, based off of everything that you said, if you would actually like the more recent remake more. Yeah, it'd be interesting yeah. to see. We'll, we'll Maybe see that's we, a, for another day. Because yeah. um, I like undertones, yeah. right? Okay. Like I like undertones in movies, and I just didn't see any in this one. And and I feel like there probably was in the book, because Stephen King does throw in good undertones into his books. So it's just like, maybe it just doesn't translate well to a movie. But then I'm like, hmm, but did they try? Interesting. Uh, okay, one final question before we wrap up here. Uh, and I want to start asking this one. I just thought of it. But would you watch this movie again? Luke, would you watch Carrie a second time? Mm. Can I think about that for a second? Yeah, <laughs> Can sure. ask Alex first? Sure, sure, sure. Classic coward <laughs> move. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Alex, would you watch Carrie again? Um, short answer, yes. Long answer, not for a while. I think I think this is a movie where... I need enough time where I don't remember details of it to want to watch it again. If I were to watch it again, like next week, no, like I don't want to watch it again next week. I would be interested to like maybe wait a year, watch the remake and then wait another year and watch this again. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm in the same, the same boat. I don't think I'd watch this movie again. I liked it. I really enjoyed it while it happened. And I guess technically this is the second viewing I've had in my life. So Watching it again? No, I don't think I'd watch it again. Uh, would I watch Carrie again? Yes for business, no for pleasure. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, so that'll bring us to the end of episode two of Nothing to Fear. Thank you so much for joining us. And you can check us out on various social medias once we get those up and running. I have secured the uh, the the handles of Nothing to Fear podcast at Gmail. Um, on Instagram, on Twitter. <laughs> if one of you who have a Facebook account wants to make a Facebook for it, that'd be cool. Um, we have we have somebody like working on designing a logo for us, which is very exciting. We're gonna hopefully get some some music. Uh, Billy, presumably what? we'll have all these things by the time someone's listening. To I this, don't care. Right? Okay. <laughs> are are, 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 are we leaving this part in? <laughs> we'll see. I'm the editor. I'm gonna decide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Growing pains, right? <laughs> we'll see. I took out I took it out in the last episode because I actually said the podcast handle wrong but nothing to fear podcast is definitely going to be the handle there's no post on there right now or maybe there will be by the time this comes out i don't know i don't know when this is coming out this is all (laughs) i'm leaving this all in this could be very confusing to a casual listener you know what casual listener if this was confusing tell us yes or no (laughs) don't give us any more context Uh, this will be funny to listen back to and edit it. But yes, uh, thank you so much for joining me. It was a blast and a half, and I can't wait to see what we do next week. So or we'll we'll talk again soon. Cool. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Nothing to Fear is hosted by Billy Schultz with Luke Mason and Alex Wan. Our logo was designed by Katie Rogers. Check out her work at put underscore that down on Instagram. Our theme song was composed by our very own Alex Wan. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Nothing to Fear Podcast, or feel free to send us an email at Nothing to Fear Podcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Please consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded your podcast uh, to help us move up the charts. It really makes it visible for a new podcast to get up there, and we appreciate it a lot. Thank you again for listening, and remember, they're just movies. There's nothing to fear. <laughs>